Thank you for downloading Tube Flash Tales, original flash fiction inspired by London Underground and vintage and contemporary brooches. If you want to find out more, visit the Tube Flash website, but not before you've listened to this set of Tube Flash Tales. Engineering Works. Hyde Park Corner. Wild Awake by Claire King We met for lunch, sitting awkwardly on the grass in our suits and eating bought sandwiches. I never considered bought sandwiches to be legitimate picnic food. You seemed edgy, picking out flabby slices of cucumber and tossing them for the pigeons. Afterwards, standing in the shadow of my offices, you tried to tell me something. It seemed important to you, but I wasn't listening. I was losing focus. I looked past the oasis where peace, descending on a rampant quadriga, was circumnavigated by black cabs and double-decker buses. Up Piccadilly towards the Ritz. We first met there under umbrellas, and the clicking orange lights of cars heading left to Mayfair, towards that sad, dark flat you took opposite the antiques shop. Everything there was too large, too gilt. I looked back at the park where nature, tamed, was forbidden to spread and spill over its sharp grey boundaries. In there somewhere was the strange melancholy curve of the serpentine, where I once took out a boat with a man who wasn't you, and the echoes of freedom, of suffragettes, Morris, Orwell and Marx. In there, horses of decent temperament carried riders around demarcated paths. I could hear their calls. You squeezed my shoulder nervously, but the cries of the horses were becoming louder, drowning out the blare and rumble of the traffic. They came down Park Lane, a thundering and crashing of hooves, a stormy sea of manes, with leaves and blossom trailing behind them like banners. They cornered onto Knightsbridge, and as they passed by they called out to us. The fences are not real. We are free. We are free. You were still trying to tell me something. But I shook my head. I wasn't listening. Archway Under the Arches by Lisa Matthews She senses him opening the front door, coming in, taking off his shoes. She listens as he removes his clothes, his belt buckle knocking, then silenced in a fist. She hears him padding up the stairs like the cat after waking. He pulls back the covers, and when he's lain back down, it's as if he's never left. Every Thursday, they go to bed, he reads his manual, she turns off her light and settles down. 
he kisses her shoulder, breathes goodnight on her skin. They never mention the quiet box room or the dark stain growing over the mantel. A few hours later, he's up and out. Several full moons come and go. And every Thursday, she lies in their bed listening to the soundtrack of his movements. They sit and eat breakfast, and she looks for it in his eyes. But she can't see it. She turns out his pockets, but it's not there. In his tool shed, in the glove box of his rover, not there, not there. Tonight she dresses once he's gone and leaves the house minutes after him, staying close to the privet so he can't see. He walks down to the culvert and crosses the bridge, then heads in a zigzag down the steep embankment by the double arches. If she follows any further, he'll hear her pursuit. She stands still, tastes the sharp air, pushes her hands deep into duffel pockets. The tube stopped hours ago, the night so still. Then she hears him scream, a low, tired scream, like he's been having his teeth drilled for days without anaesthetic. He screams for a minute, then he comes back the way he came. She follows him home and wonders what he will say when he finds the house is empty. Wimbledon The Dedicated Follower by Jennifer Ray It's strawberry season again. The boys' final unfolds on the graveyard court. The prima donna fist pumps of these proto-pros mimic what the men will be showing each other now. My lens elucidates the boys' gestures. If either reaches the real final someday, these images will prove the swagger that was in him all along. Above, guarded by rust-tipped ivy, Centre Court scoreboard tells the statistics of today's main event. My man is inside the Cathedral of Tennis, chasing immortality. The loaded and the lucky see what I can only calculate. Heated roars rise outside. Millions watch at home. Blind, I must stay near at hand. Onwards, fans droop, parched in Courtois's brand new grassy well, gazing wrapped upon screens made ghostly by sunlight. Fifth set, fifth hour, a sweaty jazz with weapons of graphite and guts, hold after hold. It will end soon, won't it? Do I stay or watch it later, maybe? No flame incandescently alive in the moment when he wins, which he must. Avoid the jubilation if he fails? Nobody waits outside the clubhouse yet. Crowds will pour towards it when only applause and screeches are left to play out. I could go, wait at the front and capture the cup in the champion's grasp. Taking that lonely spot, I can't see the score. Ah, should have a fancy phone for that. I know there is a winner now, but all applause sounds the same. People chatter, bodies press. I shut them out, praying. 
someone emerges to salute the worshippers. I frame the trophy in his famous hands. It gleams against his whites. On it, I know it says the single-handed championship of the world. It is hard to be bitter when the man looks so happy. But I am. I have my perfect shot. Perfectly unwanted. Barking. Hark! Hark! Hear Roland bark! The Barking Abbey Dog by Stephanie Bran. Look! There's the abbess. Starlight giving an edge to the white Christmas of a vaulted wimple shaped like the abbey's gothic archway. Do you see another abbess behind her? And another, beyond? Endless abbesses and arches stretching through time. This place was already four centuries old when the Conqueror came. 1066. William has invaded, burning and sacking Saxon England. London has submitted. On Christmas Day, they crowned him at Westminster. And now it's New Year's Eve. Word arrives. He's coming to Barking Abbey. There's consternation in the chantry, apprehension in the apse, terror in the transept. Should we bury the chalices, lock the cellars, or throw them open? Our grey-eyed abbess, Alfgiver, imposes calm. Prepare the spits, three bucks at least. Pluck the geese and deck the halls. We'll show him a Saxon New Year. Roland, she murmurs, fondling my ears. I depend on you and my cooks. Hunting's his passion, I've heard. New Year's Day, just a powdering of snow. Joyously, I lead the well-fed company into the great forest. Toodaloo trills the horn as we follow the stag, the hare, the boar. Towards twilight, after a day of successful slaughter, William and I find ourselves alone in a silent, sinister glade. Yellow eyes encircle us. A Saxon trap, he whispers, drawing his bow. My nose says wolf. I turn, a grey-haired shadow springs, almost floats towards him. I seize the grizzled throat, feel claws grab my haunches, an arrow twangs, the wolf drops. William's fame as a bowman's not misplaced. Wolf on saddle bow, we trudge hungrily homewards, chasing the distant kitchen smells of roasting boar. I'm just a ghost dog now, remembering summers spent half asleep on the abbey's step. Plain song drifting over hazy cornfields, fishing boats with billowing sails, gliding up Barking Creek. Lancaster Gate Sick Rose by Gary Budgeon Lancaster Gate was a quick way to Paddington, through back streets. There, Rose would get a train to Reading and stand beside a grave and not cry. Oh, Rose, thou art sick. Mum used to say with her Lancashire accent. Some bit of poem she'd got from somewhere, whispering as she cuddled Rose with meaty arms and the smell of cheap perfume, Rothmans and vodka. When the crowd had left the platform, 
When the sound of the train had faded, Rose collapsed on a bench, sobbing. There was no one here and no more trains for six minutes. Six minutes to cry for Mum, long dead. So Rose cried under the laboratory bright light of the station. No tears for him. She had only visited him once. Some care home where the nurses looked grim, underpaid and capable of being secretly vicious, much to Rose's satisfaction. Oh, Rose, thou art sick, Mum had said. Mum had never known. No, she can't have known what ailed her little Rose. Yes, he got drunk and knocked Mum about a bit, but that? No one talked about that in those days. She dried her eyes. There was a couple further down the platform. Mustn't be seen making a show of herself, no. Why was she going? It was her father's funeral, so of course she must go. She couldn't say that all she wanted was to see him covered in dirt, the way he had covered her in dirt all her life. Years later, she came across the William Blake poem. Oh, Rose, thou art sick, the invisible worm that flies in the night, in the howling storm has found thy bed of crimson joy, and his dark secret love does thy life destroy. Gloucester Road The Proposal by Leonie Milliner Go on, I laugh. I, a milliner's daughter, marry a prince. But you are the most desired widow in Britain, my prince replies. He's on his knees crawling after me. His fine buttoned waistcoat snags. Didn't you refuse a duke for me, he implores. You know I did, that stinking old man. My hand catching the golden thread, and with my teeth I cut him free, winding the silk around my knuckles. You're coaxing me, I say, looking down at him wriggling under my petticoat to get a glimpse at my shemmy lying on my parlour floor. And he gazes up at me, abashed, with his puerile broad mouth smile and imperial lolling tongue. Get up, I tell him. Someone might come in. Who? declares my prince. The king? His stocking feet pummel the air and my hands dance to catch his thrashing toes. He asks, do you mind my brother must never know? I smile sweetly at the thought of King George and his disagreeable countenance. My chaplain is in my closet, can't you see? I say, and Prince Willie's eyes pop out all innocent at the door outlined in shadow next to the grate. Oh, reverend, he teases me. Oh, reverend, oh, reverend. And like a ghost, my chaplain's fingers wrap around the crack of moving wainscot to slip unhurried into my parlour. Prince William, Duke of Gloucester, is on his knees upright in a second, and I am stood over him with my head bowed, my hands in his, saying, Yes, yes, I do. My chaplain does not know where to put his eyes except on the thread tightening about my palm. 
and says the wedding pledge at full speed until it is over. And I say, go on. I, a duchess? You've been listening to a Tube Flash production. Engineering Works, read by Mena Bonsells and Tim Heffer. If you enjoyed this download, why not visit the TubeFlash website, www.tubeflash.co.uk, where you'll find more underground tales to download and keep forever entirely free by following the iTunes link. <laughs>